morning, everyone. This is Pastor Trovon, Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies, coming to you live right here from our studios in Daytona Beach, Florida. Good to have everyone here with us today for our expository teaching on the Word of God. If you are joining us for the very first time, we are here Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a teaching and a really a discovery of, of what God has given us so uh Freely in His Word. You know, folks, the Word says that His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we come here today because we, what we desire God to do is to, 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 to give us a light. You know what I think about sometimes? You, know, you look at explorers that go into caves in a darkened place. The guy that gets the flashlight is the guy that's out in front. He gets that. He gets the flashlight to, to go into the way of discovery. Folks, li- listen. The depth of God's Word... Uh, is, is such that, that he has to eliminate it through the person of the Holy Spirit. And so we're here today for exactly that, to see a time of, uh, of discovering the things that God has so he might equip us to go and do those things that he's called us to do. So once again, thank you for joining us. Uh, we are in the, the midst of study on the book of the Revelation. We are uh, at class number 49, the 49th hour in this uh in this class, and if you've not been with us in the past, the good news is we are making those classes available absolutely free of charge from our website, which is located at www.biggrace.com, www.biggrace.com. You can go there and download, I believe, up to message, probably 41 or 2 or something like that. 43 uh, is made available. Uh, so you can go and download those. There's no charge on that, guys. We, uh, God's free to give, and we free to give, and we hope that it's... Uh, it serves the, the purpose it's meant to, and that's to, uh, to to really cause a hunger and stir up in your heart and life for the Word of God. By no means is this it. You know, if, if the only uh, meal that you get in the Word of God is what you get in this hour, you're really missing the point. Our desire is to ignite something in you that would cause you to want to go deeper into the things of God and to know Him. Even as Paul the Apostle commended the Bereans in Acts 17.11, that he said, you know what, they received the Word, but they searched the Scriptures daily to see things were so. And so when something comes off of this desk and behind this microphone, really I encourage you to take notes, write those things down, and search the scripture to see if they're so. If you have questions uh, regarding anything that's taught here, if you have a comment or you have some input on it, send those questions, comments, input to raven at biggrace.com, R-A-V-E-N at biggrace.com. That is my uh, uh, email address. And we'd love to hear your comments. If you have prayer requests, send those to pray at big grace.com biggrace.com and we'd love to uh, lift up your prayer needs to the Lord Jesus Christ as well so this is folks this is a, a dialogue you know we ask you to kind of hold your banter and your your conversation uh, in on the live audience down till after the hour we really want your input your input doesn't have to stop when our class stops at 10 o'clock a.m. it can continue on through the internet or through telephone calls however you want to continue this dialogue or understanding of it we welcome that and we really invite that type of a uh, uh, involvement from, from, from you in this in this class. This is for you. And so we want you to be a part of it. We just welcome all of you that join us from around the United States, Canada, Mexico, and, and really all over the world that download these classes and participate in our in our live class as well as in the recording uh, uh, the recorded uh, classes that are made available through our website as well. So thank you for being a part of this. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we're going to dive in and, and potentially I said potentially because Sometimes it never works out the way we think. Potentially finish up the 13th chapter today. and uh, Because we've really laid a lot of the groundwork for some of the later verses as well in our earlier classes on this chapter. So uh, if, if that be the case, you guys that are with us live, we'll start off on 14 on Monday. And so we're going to look at trying to finish up the 13th chapter today and dive into chapter 14 as well. Father, we just come to you in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Father, we, as we look at your word, Lord God, I, I fall in love with you, Lord God, more and more as I, as I study your word and I see your plan. And unfolding, Lord God, through all the ages. Father, I see your, your mercy. I see your goodness. Father, I see your faithfulness. I see your long-suffering. Father, in everything. And, and Lord God, what it does to me, it just causes me to trust you the more and more. Lord God, that for me, to trusting in the Lord with all my heart, not leaning on my own understanding, but acknowledging in all my ways, becomes so much easier, Lord God, as I let your word saturate my heart and life. Lord God, I do genuinely see the greater reality Father, than what I see in the natural, but what you've said 
through your word. Father, I thank you that you are not a man that you should lie or the son of a man that you should repent. But, Lord God, your name is called faithful, Lord God. You are the embodiment of faithfulness, Lord God. You are the, the, the embodiment, Lord God, of mercy and goodness and grace and power. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord God, that that is the God that I serve, Lord God. When I say that, that no weapon that's formed against me is going to prosper, Lord God, that's because of who I am in Christ and who Christ is in my life. And so, Father, we thank you today that we can come into your presence through the shed blood of, of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord God, through faith and the finished work of the cross. Lord God, we're not coming, Lord God, bringing our vain oblations, Lord God, of our efforts of our own hands, our own lives. But Lord God, we're coming saying, thank you, Jesus, for paying a price that I could not pay. Thank you, Jesus, for bringing deliverance, Lord God, into a life that could not find freedom on its own. And Father, we thank you today that you are not a respecter of persons. What you've done for one, that you will do for another, Lord God. So Father, as we come together, we just ask that you would come and fill this time. Fill our, our time of fellowship. Lord God, all across the nations today as we gather together. Lord God, under the banner just of one name. It's not Troy Bond. It's not Raven Ministries. It's the name of Jesus, Lord God, that we look to. And Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you have given us these vehicles, Lord God, to use to proclaim that name, Lord God. Father, as a teacher, Lord God, I'm just a vehicle. I'm just a mouthpiece, Lord God. I'm just one that would herald what you've said. Father, even as a ministry, Lord God, Raven Ministries International, that's just a vehicle. That's just a tool, Lord God, that you've drawn, Lord God, from your spiritual toolbox, Lord God, to, to do an effective work in your kingdom. But Lord God, ultimately, it's Christ and Him crucified, the power of God. So, Father, as we come together today, we thank you for this tremendous, tremendous opportunity. We thank you, Lord God, that you are giving us the, the mind of Christ, that you are transforming us, Lord God, day by day, Lord God, into the express image of your Son, Jesus. That way, Lord God, when he returns, he'll find faith on the earth because we would have hidden your word in our hearts, Lord God. And we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Father, we pray for those that are sick, Lord God, in their physical bodies. We ask for healing, Lord God, on those that have been struggling, Lord God, with the flu and sickness and diseases. Father, I thank you that 2,000 years ago, those that price was paid. And Father, I ask that you would increase our faith. Lord God, we know the problem is not a problem with you. It's a problem with us, Lord God. We don't want fear, doubt, unbelief, Lord God, or compromise to stand in the way of the, the, the physical, literal, total manifestation of your healing, Lord God, and those that are sick. So Father, we rebuke the doubt off of our lives, Lord God even before we rebuke the sickness and the infirmity off of their lives, Lord God. We want, Father, our testimony and our proclamation to be based, Lord God, upon a faith in Jesus. Even as you, Lord God, uh, spoke to those that were afflicted, you said, uh, will you be made whole? And you said, be it then according to your faith, Lord God. Increase our faith that we might be made whole, that we might speak to the sick and the afflicted and the, and the infirm. We might say, in the name of Jesus, be made whole. And Father, we pray for these churches all across, Lord God, even the ones where God mentioned here uh, uh, through Wanda, Lord God, in this, uh, uh, they're up in Port Perry, Lord God, and up there in, in Ontario, Canada. Father, we pray, Lord God, for revival to start in the church. Lord God, something has got to happen. Father, there's a, there's, there's a church that bears your name, Lord God, but does not bear your fruit. And Father, you said you'd not know it by the, the name or the organizational ties, but you said you'll know a tree by its fruit. And not everyone that says unto you, Lord, Lord, shall inherit the kingdom, but those that do your will. Father, I'm praying, Lord God, that you'd rise up a prophetic voice, Lord God, within churches. Lord God, whether it be from the pulpit, whether it be from the pew, Lord God, we ask that you would begin to raise up a voice of righteousness that would begin to declare your glory and your majesty, Lord God, to the nations. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. A little announcement. Don't forget, we are taking our into New Orleans, uh, February the 20th through the 24th, uh, for our 14th annual outreach to the city of New Orleans during Mardi Gras. And so we're going to have a, a team out there preaching the gospel, sharing the, the love of Jesus, uh, going after a generation. Folks, we're going after some kids, you know. Uh, you know, it's the, the older you get, the, the more kids there are. Why? Because more people are kids to you. And so we're going to go after those kids that are out there that the world has just inundated with immorality, the sensualism, and all these other things, debauchery. And we're going to go after them, and we're going to be bolder than the world. We're going to be more in your face than these advertising executives that seek to destroy them. We're going to get out there, and we're going to be a spectacle for the kingdom of God, and we're going to raise up the people that are going to dare to go and herald it from the housetops. The Word of God says He has chosen the foolishness of preaching the gospel to save the lost. So we're going to go, and we're going to do a lot of preaching the gospel. So we want to invite you to come with us 
If you got questions on that, you can uh, uh, send those requests to ravenatbigrace.com or just go on the website and click on uh, Mardi Gras Outreach. Uh, you'll get the contact information. Call me up personally. We'd love you to be there. we got people from all over gathering together for just one purpose, and that's to point people towards Jesus and to introduce them to the only one that can save, deliver, and give them eternal life. So we'd love you to be a part of that. As far as cost or registration, there's no cost on that. We just want you there. We'll, we'll house you. We'll feed you. Uh, we'll lead you. We'll uh, worship with you. We'll pray with you. Whatever it needs to get done. That, that way, whether you're a novice, whether you uh, are a veteran, we'd love to have you there because you have something that somebody needs. You may think it's simple. Maybe it's a testimony. Maybe it's prayer. Maybe it's just your faith. Maybe it's just your willingness to go and allow God to use you. But we'd love you to be a part of that outreach. Raven, Grace.com. Send your uh, inquiries uh, February 20th through the 24th. If you miss us this, miss us this year in the Lord Terry's, this stands. We go all the time. We don't. We don't have to wait and say, "Oh, I wonder if I'm going." We're going to be there. Amen. Until Jesus comes back, I'm going to hit, be hitting those streets, taking teams, and I'm going to be a part of that. Make a commitment now. <laughs> People always say, "Well, you know, I just don't feel led." You know what? I, I feel every time I open the Word, I feel led to go. You know, I'm going to be going to Turkey uh, in a couple months. I'll be spending two weeks in the nation of Turkey. You know, a Muslim uh, country. Uh, what's interesting is the place where the uh, Paul the Apostle was dressed in the seven churches of Asia Minor. I'll be at Ephesus. Matter of fact, when I land, I'll, I'll land right there where the ruins of Ephesus are. And I'm going to preach in Ephesus and Laodicea and, and Sardis and Pergamus and Thyatira. And so, don't get jealous. Amen. Just pray. But God invited me to go. And you know what I said? I said yes. And so God opened up the opportunity for me to go and brought the provision. Why? Because I was willing to say yes. If you'll say yes a little bit more often to the little things, uh, you'll get to go to the nations. But if you can't even go to New Orleans and preach the gospel in the backyard of this country, uh, you'll never set foot on foreign soil because God won't be able to trust you. So, am I putting it to you? Yes, I am, because there's too much at stake. Folks, I made a comment that true leaders lead from the front of the pack uh, where the risk and the sacrifices are the greatest. And folks, you know, and I'll say that again, true leaders lead from the front of the pack where the risk and the sacrifices are the greatest. And, you know, folks, where there's the greatest risk greatest sacrifice. There's also the greatest reward. There are. You know, your your reward and your testimony is going to come out of your sacrifice and the risk that you're willing to take. And, you know, I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. When I'm willing to lay it on the line, may God bring such a, 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 a return on that investment of sacrifice. You know, folks, as we look at really kind of the unfolding of events that are going to, that are going to be happening, yeah, in this world in the very near future, what we need to be aware of is that this is not the hour to back off or to slack off in regards to our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and really in the things that He's called us and entrusted us to do. This is not the time to, to bunker ourselves down because of what people say about the economy or people say about uh, wars and rumors of war or whatever else. This is the time to, to press in like never before, keep our hand firmly fixed to the plow, and keep driving through that soil of the harvest field, believing God's going to bring a re, a revival and renewal into people's lives. And, you know, folks, this is, there's a very real battle, though, that's taking place. And really, subjective is the heart and the soul and the minds of anyone who would foolishly yield to the deception of Satan. And that deception doesn't just come with what we're going to talk about here in the, the 18th verse about the mark of the beast. It doesn't just come with, with uh, you know, killing chickens or worshiping the dead. That's not the deception. The deception is to get you just to stop going. To stop doing, to stop being, to stop trusting and having faith in Jesus. The great deception is a subtle deception. And so, you know, I remember when I was uh, coming up as a young Christian and going to church, you know, I always wanted to sit on the front row of the auditorium. I always did. I always wanted to be on the very front row. Uh, and so when Melly and I lived in Baton Rouge in the late 80s and I was in Bible college there, you know, we attended a church of about 10,000 people. And, you know, the church was a part of that. It was affiliated, with, obviously, with the Bible college. And every day, because I was a student there, I had to attend chapel services for about 2,000 students that were part of that student body. You know, we'd come together and there'd be speakers that would be speaking like David Wilkerson. You know, David Wilkerson, author of the, some people know from the Cross and Switchblade, or Times Square Church in New York, or he's the founder of Team Challenge or, or World Challenge. You, you're familiar with David Wilkerson, a true prophetic voice uh, for uh, 
for this generation. Or Dave Hunt. Dave Hunt was a speaker there a number of times. And Dave Hunt wrote the book, The Seduction of Christianity, kind of dealing with a lot of things 20-something years ago that were seen even more so today. And a lot of other well-known speakers and guys are really anointed that were really people on the cutting edge at that time. And I always wanted to be right up there on the front so I didn't miss out on anything. I, I would say I want to be up there where I get spit on. And you know, get around to that preacher, you can get spit on basically. But I wanted to get baptized in, in, the, in the fire of God. And I didn't, I didn't want it second tier, second pew. And so I was hungry really for the first wave of anything that was coming off that, that pulpit. And so when the altar call came and it was time to get on our faces before God, I wanted to be the first one up there. I wanted to have me a spot at the altar pressing in, pressing through that that. Cur- the holy place, so to speak, and I wanted to—I wanted to be there. I wanted everything that God had for me, folks. You know what? As I think back and I look at those times, you know, there were a lot more people, many more people, maybe most people who were probably more talented than me. Probably most of them were. You know, there were a lot more people who were obviously more spiritually gifted and all these other things going for them. But there were not, and you know, I think about it back. You know, think about then. A lot of people, a lot more educated, knew a lot more stuff than me, had a lot more experiences. But, you know, there were not many people who were hungry for the presence of God to me. I can say that. You know, all these people had these things that I couldn't do anything about. Their education, their experiences, their, 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 their gifts, their, their, their talents. I couldn't do anything about that. But there's one thing that I could do about is my hunger. I could do something about aggressively seeking the presence of the Lord, a seek, uh, aggressively going after everything that He had. I could do something like that. And so, you know, but being folks in the front of the back, you know, it requires risk and it requires sacrifices. You've got to put yourself out there. You know, I had to be in the chapel an hour before the service got started. I had to be there an hour ahead of, of everybody uh, in order to get on the front row. You know, I, I had to sacrifice time that I could have spent going to eat lunch. Or sacrifice time that I could have run, run to the house and, and visited with Melody for a minute. Or, or run to the house and, and uh, uh, or, or just spend some time taking care of business. But it was, it was so important to be of what God was going to do that day with this great anticipation that I would miss everything and just go and sit down where everybody else is going to lunch before chapel. And I just go in there and I just pray. I said, God, you've got to show up today. I've got to have you. And you know, I preached a message one time when I was in Texas. Whatever happened to the front row believers? You know, you go into most churches today and the, the, they fill up from the back. And I, I don't know what it is. You know, I want to be up there. I, you know, we used to say get under the spout when the glory comes out. But it always fills up from the back. And so, but when you're on the front, there are very few distractions. You are honed in. But when you're on the back, you know what you find yourself doing, you guys that are sitting in churches? You, you're always observing everything. And at the end of the day, somebody can ask you something. You know everybody. Oh, yeah, I saw this person pass the note. I saw this person do that. I saw this person do that. They were distracted or they were text messaging or they were doing that. Well, if you were on the front row, you wouldn't have to worry about all that. You can get up there and you can get yours. You can press in and you can set a standard and example leading from the front of the path. But in doing so, folks, I'm, I'm, one of the risks I did is I risked being misunderstood. Because in my always rushing forward, crying out to God at the altar, you know, uh, people would always say, you know, man, what's wrong with him? Is he in sin? Is he in what's going on with his life? You know, he's always got to be the first one up there. Absolutely. And, you know, because I read in the scripture where Joshua pressed against that tabernacle in the tent of meeting. You know, they would stop themselves, man, Moses chose a bad dude, man. He's not, he's not living very right because after Moses leaves, Joshua's still got to be there pressed in. No, Joshua uh, may have lacked some of the things, the characteristic qualities that somebody else had, but he did not lack faith and aggressiveness in saying, God, I hunger after your presence. Folks, I, I say all that because of the, the era that we're in and really what we're seeing unfolding uh, in this revelation, in this unveiling of Jesus. And if anything, it ought to cause you to think, listen, I've got to press in. I want, I want you to think about something just for a minute. And it's out of 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1. I want to read something to you that's just really kind of my heart on this and really explains what I'm talking about. Here's what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 1. First one. It says, There was a certain man from Mahathim and a Zuphite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerom, the son of Ehu, and the son of Tobu, the son of Zuph, and, uh, and an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other was Peniah. And Peniah had children, but Hannah had none. Somebody say, Hannah had none. I felt like Hannah. 
I felt like everybody around me, I see other young men. I was just young at the time. We know I just got married, got married at 19. I see all these other people. I think, man, they're so gifted. They're so talented. They can play an instrument. They can sing. They can do all these things. I couldn't do any of those things. I just had a desire. And it says, year after year, this man went up from his uh, own township to, and to sacrifice to the Lord God Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests unto the Lord. And so whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give uh, portions of the meat to his wife, Benai, and to all his sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion to her because he loved her and because the Lord had closed her womb. Folks, you know what? I know what it means. I feel like, man, God has closed my womb. God is, I mean, what, what am I doing? What can I reproduce? But I think in that, you know, I always got a, really felt a double portion of God's love. I, I knew what it was early on. Once I became born again, that there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You know, I've always said, you know, God loves me. I don't ever have a doubt about that. I don't ever have to shake my fist at heaven. Never done it. Never said, God, why'd you do this? God, you're unfair. God has been doubly fair to me. God has been doubly good to me. God has been doubly merciful to me. Does that mean I hadn't gone through a, a tub load of trials? Absolutely not. But I get to go through them with Him. I get to, to go through the fire and not be burned. And so I, I never have to walk in condemnation or guilt trips or anything like that because I know who I serve and I know who I'm who believed. And it says, and this went on, and let me go back to 6. It says, because the Lord had closed her womb, her rival had kept provoking her in order to irritate her. You ever feel like somebody's trying to irritate you or trying to get, get on your bad side or trying to challenge what you do have uh, and, and try to... Uh, to belittle what God has invested in your life. That's what happened with, uh, with Hannah. Then verse 7 it says, This went on year after year. It just kept on happening. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Uh, don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And once they had finished eating and drinking Shiloh, uh, Hannah stood up, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. I want to go back to this. Do I mean more to you than ten sons? Folks, does your relationship with Jesus, don't the love of God mean more to you than the recognition of men? Don't, don't your relationship with God mean more to you than a position or a title or, or appreciation or, or an attaboy or a pat on the back? Doesn't, doesn't what God thinks about you mean more to you than what you can achieve or where you can go? And what you, it does to me. You know, I get to see and do and, and, and a lot of things that, that I really enjoy. But if I didn't get to do those and God just gave me instruction to do something else just to, to, to know His love and to, to experience that, you know what? I'm, I'm content with that, whatever, because I know who I serve. And I know that what I'm doing now is just based upon my willing to be obedient, willing to make that sacrifice and take those risks just to know Him. And it says... Um, and so once they had finished eating and drinking, Shalom, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on a chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. And in, in verse 10 it says, In bitterness of soul, and that's not saying anger and soul. That's a, it's just saying her, her, her heart was broke. She was just really going through time of travail. But it says, In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. And it says, She made a vow saying, O Lord God Almighty, if you will only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used upon his head. I'll make him a Nazarite. I'll give him to you, Lord God. And she kept on praying to the Lord. Somebody say she kept on praying. Folks, when you're not getting the answer, you know what you need to do? You need to keep on praying. When you're in a struggle, you know what you need to do? You need to keep on praying. When it seems like everybody is mocking you and making fun of you, you need to keep on praying. And it says, Eli observed her mouth. And it says, Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk. Folks, that's kind of humorous. You know, you hear people say, listen, uh, your lips are moving, but I don't hear you. You know, the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. You know, Eli was checking her out, and because nobody else really desired to be on the front row, so to speak, he thought there's something wrong with her. What, what is this woman is coming up all the time? She's always weeping. She's always travailing. She keeps praying. She keeps asking. I can't hear a thing that she's saying. Folks, so oftentimes we don't know what we should pray. The Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You know, when I get before God sometimes, you know what, there's not words to say. There's not some type of eloquent uh, 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 dialogue or diatribe, even in some cases, that I go off on that, that, that have all this. Sometimes it's just that groan from the innermost being. And folks, we need to keep on praying. We need to keep on believing. We need to keep on growing before God, whether it's for our children, whether it's for our health, whether it's for our provision. We need to get that collective groan and say, I'm going to 
keep on coming. I'm going to keep on pressing. I'm going to keep on praying. And it said, he said to her, she was drunk. And in other words, she put herself at risk of being misunderstood. And he said, how long do you keep on getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. And so in verse 15, Hannah said, not so, my Lord. And she said, I'm a woman who's deeply troubled. I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my anguish and grief. And Eli answered her, oops, I guess I wasn't too discerning, I think, I guess he would say. Go in peace and may God, the God of Israel, grant you what you have asked for him. Folks, listen, her answer wasn't based upon what Eli said. Eli didn't believe anything. Eli thought she was trying. He wasn't discerning. And so she didn't say, well, thank you so much for you being the one. No, it was her pressing in. So, folks, if you're waiting for somebody else to say, behold, thus saith the Lord, if you're waiting for, some, waiting for somebody else to come and give you a, a prophecy or a word of knowledge, and you're thinking that's going to be the trigger effect, no. The trigger is going to be when you press in and you keep on praying and keep on asking. And she said in verse 18, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something. Her face was no longer downcast. Early in the morning, somebody say early in the morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their home in Ramah. Elkanah lay with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Folks, listen. Hannah led from the front, and her risk and her sacrifice brought forth Samuel. If you want to bring forth a prophetic voice, whether it's through your children, your family, you got to lead from the front and back. you got to get out there where you're not distracted by all these other things. Uh, if it means getting, uh, getting in prayer an hour early, if it means getting in your word an hour early, if it, if it means being misunderstood, if it means uh, weeping and, being, uh, and, and praying and groanings to not be uttered, do just that. Whatever it takes to get out there and lead from the front, that way God will open up your spiritual womb, whatever it may be, that seems closed, it's not reproducing, Press in, folks. Press in. God has not uh, forgotten you. And you don't need some Eli to show up and say, well, listen, because I'm saying it. No, because the, behold, thus saith the Lord has spoken that unto you. And so you're asking, what does that have to do? That has everything to do with teaching in the book of the Revelation. Folks, you've got to continue to press in. You've got to believe. Why? Because the consequences are all the consequences that we're seeing. If you don't do it, you will be one probably that don't worship God now, but you're going to be so mesmerized by the beast, by the false prophet, that you're going to be a follower of that. Break my heart that you would have an opportunity, but you would not do that. So, Revelation chapter 13, verses 1. I'm going to read those verses, uh, 10 verses that we covered. Uh, then we'll get into the next verse. And it says, And I stood upon the sand of the sea, or he stood upon the sand, the sand of the sea, speaking of the, the beast, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his head ten crowns, and upon his head the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him power, and his seat uh, was, was great authority. And I saw one of the heads as they were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon which gave power unto the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who is able to make war with him? And there was given to him a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemy, and to power was given, and to him power was given unto him to uh, continue forty and two months, that three and a half years. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme the name, his tabernacle, and also those that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And power was given over him over all kindreds, tongues, and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life slain before the foundation of the world. If any man hear, let him hear. He that leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So folks, really kind of four, four or five things right here. The Antichrist, number one, stands in opposition to the covenant people of Israel and informs really his coalition of that revived old Roman Empire under his leadership through that deception. The Antichrist appears to be assassinated at the height of his popularity. He's miraculously resurrected through this demonic power of the false prophet. Uh, this causes the whole world to worship him, just as Satan has always desired to be worshipped. And so this is the fulfillment of that great dream that Satan has always had. And this is what causes there to be a break in that, uh, that uh, three and a half year uh, peace treaty that he made with Israel. And he goes on into the temple to be worshipped himself. That's the abomination of desolation. And this also causes the world to rise up, folks, against the Jews and to seek to kill them. Because at this point, they're basically the only ones who are going to reject his leadership. 
And, and, and really, uh, they're going to reject him as deity. They're not going to worship him. They're not going to bow to this guy. He's, they're not going to allow him to come into the temple. They're going to rise up like that, that Alcana priesthood in First, uh, 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 Second Chronicles chapter 26 that's going to uh, withstand that, that Uzziah type of mentality that I'm going to go in. They're going to stand like that 80 men with a priesthood. And they're going to say, no way. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because all of these events we've seen play out in Scripture before. Think about Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 through 13. We talk about Daniel a whole lot. Here's, here's that scenario years and years, thousands of years before it happens again. And, and look what it says in Daniel chapter 6, verse 5 through 13. And it says, and, these, uh, and, and then said these men, these are men that despise Daniel. You know, Daniel, here he was, a Hebrew, uh, sent into uh, uh, to, to Babylon, and man, God is using him. And, and people didn't like him as a result of that. And, and it said, and these men, uh, we shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. In other words, if we're going to back him into a corner, if we're going to do things, it's going to be based upon his law and because of his standards and because of his, his integrity. That's the only way we're going to catch him because he don't have any kinks in his armor. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said unto the king, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents, the kingdoms, the governors, the princes, the counselors, and the, and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that, whoso, that whosoever shall ask a petition of any god or any man for thirty days, except you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. And now, O king, establish the decree and sign writing that it not be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which alter not. Uh, wherefore, King Darius signed the ruling, and he signed the decree. Why? Because all these people said, you know, listen, let's just take 30 days. All these people that have other gods, listen, that's fine. But for 30 days, you're going to be the center of attention. So the king obviously bought into that. In verse 10, it says, Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house, and his windows being open, his chamber toward Jerusalem, he kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as he did before the decree came down. In other words, he did just like Hannah. He kept on praying. And it says, These men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before God. Then they came near and spoke before the king concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed the decree that every man shall ask a petition of any god of you of, of thirty days, except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? Then the king answered and said, This thing is true according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which alter not, which do not change. Then answered they and said before the king that Daniel, which is of the children of captivity of Judah, regarding not, he did not regard you, O king, nor the decree that you have signed, but maketh his petition even three times in a day. And so you see what they did is they, they set this thing up. They set this, this, this King Darius up and they said, listen, we're just going to worship you. And so Daniel, representing the Jews, refused to do it. And they said, well, let's go after and kill him. Same thing is going to happen in the last days. They're going to say, listen, we're all going to worship you. The false prophet's going to come forth and say we're going to do that. The Jews are going to say, well, I'm sorry. We're going to keep worshiping our God. You may have went in to defile the temple, but we're going to serve our Messiah. We're going to look to the one who has delivered us. And you also in the third chapter, if we back up just a little bit, chapter 10, verse 18. Check this out. It says, You, O king, has made a decree. This is with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did you say 10, 18? Or 3, 3, 10 through 18. Chapter, Daniel 3, 10 through 18. It says, You, O king, has made a decree that every man shall hear the sound of a cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, uh, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship this golden image. It was established to, for Nebuchadnezzar. And whoever falls down and worship it, that he should be, uh, doesn't fall down and worship it, he should be cast in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have set over your affairs in the province of Babylon, who are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded you. They serve not your gods, nor worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar in his rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar spake and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do you not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? Now, if, if you be ready at the time you hear the sound of the music, uh, if you'll fall down and worship the image of the beast which I made, but if you do not do it, you will be cast at this same hour in the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that will deliver you out of my hands? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, To the O King Nebuchadnezzar, we are careful to answer you in this matter. If it be so, our God whom uh, we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, he'll do it. And he'll deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto you, O king, that we will not serve your gods nor worship the golden image which you have set up. And so they're saying, listen, uh, you can kill us, big deal, but we're not going to serve anyway. You can, you can get in our face, you can intimidate us, 
You can rebuke us. You can disfellowship us. You can do whatever it is that you think you want to do, but we're not going to change who we worship. Well, what about you? What about when you're pressured by circumstance? Do you, do you bow to the images of this world? What about when you're, you're pressured by relationships? Do you bow to the images of this world? What about when you're, you're, you're pressured on, on a job or, uh, or through certain conversations? Are you pressured into bowing? Or are you finding yourself saying, listen, I don't care what you say. I don't care who you follow. I don't care what you do. I'm going to set my affections upon the King of Kings. And if He chooses to deliver me, praise God. If He chooses to me to let me be scorched in the fire or the circumstance or to be rejected, Praise God too. But the bottom line is, I'm not bowing to any image. I'm not bowing to any God. I'm not bowing to any other name but the name of Jesus. And so, folks, just as we saw that in Daniel chapter 3 and Daniel chapter 6 with Daniel and, and, and uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this, the same scene is really, that's what's going to unfold in the second half of the Great Tribulation. It's going to be almost like a mirror image of those things. Uh, they're going to say, listen, we've set this up, we've established this, and you're going to have to worship this beast or you're going to be killed. And really the nation of Israel's response is going to mirror that response that they had. Finally going to mirror that response. And they're going to refuse to bow to these false gods. Check this out in Romans chapter 11, verse 25 to 29. Romans 11, 25 to 29. Paul the Apostle said, He said, Pray would not, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. He said that blindness in part has happened to Israel until, somebody say until, unline, underline it, until the fullness of the Gentiles be come. What is the fullness of the Gentiles? The end of the church age, the end of the age of grace, up till Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. And he says, you're blind until then. Then what's going to happen? Their eyes are going to be open, praise God. In verse 26, so, and the reason... Their eyes will be open, so all Israel will be saved. So God can return them back to that place of their covenant. As it is written, There shall come out of Zion deliverance, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I will take away their sins. When's that happening? Right here. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. It was when you wrote that. But as touching the election, that's the Jews, they are beloved for the Father's sake. In other words, God hadn't forgotten them. He's, he's hit the stopwatch on that at the end of that 69th week, but in the 70th week, he's clicking it again. He's saying, I love them. I, I love my covenant people, and I, I've given uh, this window of opportunity for the church, for the Gentiles, for, for the, those that were not Jews to, to come to fellowship. But the, the, the fullness of that time is going to come to an end, and I'm going to begin to deal with them. Why? Because verse 29 of Romans 11 says, The gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. In other words, what I started... I'm going to finish in them. I put, I called them out. They are my election. They're the ones that I've raised up for a purpose. And I'm not willing to, to let them go. I'm not willing to, to lose them. I'm not willing to, to, to just sacrifice them. Folks, some of you guys that, that maybe have kids, especially grown children that are maybe away from the Lord, don't you feel the same way sometimes? That you, you just you stand fast in prayer. You say, listen, I'm not willing to, uh, to, to bow to circumstances, bow to worry, fear, doubt, and unbelief. I'm claiming them for the kingdom. Why? Because the gifts, the cause of God without repentance. God's made me promises. I know that even though I've got a rebellious son, he's going to come in the kingdom. He's either going to come with, with, with many uh, lashes upon him, uh, or he's going to come with few. It's up to him. He, he's going to with years of rebellion or just a, a little while of rebellion. It's going to be up to him. But I believe in that God's promises are yes and amen. So God's going to fulfill those things. So I really say that as a word of encouragement for you. God waited 2,000 years, obviously, to bring back that fulfillment of his people. And he'll do it for you as well. If you do like him and keep on. If you do like him and keep on. If you do like him and keep on. Get from That way you're not distracted by all these things that come at you. All of these worrisome things. All of these situations that want to distract you and get you out from under the spout, so to speak, where the glory comes out. So that's what the Jews are doing. They're saying, listen, I don't care what happens to me. I'm going to get under there where God's revelation. We've already missed him once. We're not going to miss him again. And and Revelation 13.7 says that this Antichrist is given power to make war with them and to overcome them. Now, folks, listen. That's not in the that's in the physical sense. That's not in the spiritual sense. In other words, he's going to make war with them. He's, it's it's not saying that he's going to put so much pressure on them that they're going to say, okay, we're going to renounce God. No, in the physical sense, he's going to overcome physically, but it's not going to matter to them. And the reason that that's very important is because how the Jews viewed the initial coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. 
They were so focused on the natural things that they totally missed out on the things of eternity. And, but now the situation is reversed. And see, when John came preaching, you'll find that in, in uh, Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Here John was, that final really prophet of the Old Covenant. He comes out and says, uh, And John came out of the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Here he comes giving a message of repentance. Thinking different. That's what he's saying. That's the Menoio. He's saying, Listen, I want you to come and think different. I know you've been doing all these things externally, but what John's message did was internalize the message. He said, I don't care that you can stand in the, in the, in the streets and, and offer you great swelling words. I don't care if you're in synagogue all the time. I don't care if you go to the temple. I don't care if you adhere to all these sacrifices. Because you're whitewashed tombs. It's your clouds without rain. You're, you're empty. And so John came bringing the message of repentance to them. And he said, listen, there's one coming after me with shoe latchet that I'm not worthy to lose. He said, indeed, I baptize you in water under repentance, but the one coming after me is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Jesus gave the promise in John 14, John 16, John 20. He said, listen, I, I, he won't just be with you, but he's going to be in you. And so the, the message was so different, but they wanted to externalize everything. They wanted another Saul. They wanted another a Messiah that's going to come and, 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 and throw down the Roman legions. He's going to come with, with, with a multitude of his army and raise up the zealots. And so they were so focused on the external that they did not see the transformational internalization that Jesus had brought into their lives. Revelation chapter 13, it totally reverses course. They're saying, listen, we could really care less if you overcome us physically because we're not bowing. We're not, you, it's just like uh, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's words to, to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. Listen, you may overcome us physically, but we don't know who we're going to serve. We're going to come out of this on top because we have problems with God. Now, look at Revelation. Let's back up a chapter. Revelation 12, 11. It says, they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. What was the word of their testimony? Yeah, you may kill my body, but you're not going to kill my soul. You may overtake me circumstantially, but I'm not going to get bitter towards God. You may put hardships on me, but I'm going to have faith. I may see things or get a bad diagnosis, but I'm still going to trust God. I can care less about those things because I overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word. My word, the word of my testimony is faithfulness. The word of my testimony is hope. The word of my testimony is holiness and righteousness. That's the word of my testimony. That's what allows me to overcome. Now, folks, if you allow your testimony, the word of your mouth, to 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 to, uh, to be tainted by the cares of this world, I, I've said, listen, when you when, with leadership, your words go before you. Where are your words leading you? Are your words leading you into life eternal? Are they leading you into hope? Are they leading you into to fear? Are they leading you into unbelief? Are they leading you into stress? I'm not going to allow my words to lead me into those places. Why? Because they're what goes before me. But they overcame by the blood of by the word of testimony and did not love their lives unto death. What about you? Do you love your life? Do you love it that you're not willing to lay it down? I want you to consider something, what he told them 2,000 years ago. And I want to show you a portion of Scripture that you may have never placed within the context of Revelation 13. Or for that matter, matter Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And I want to, I want to show you something in context uh, that, that show the people that Jesus spoke to just how this all fits in prophetically. And it's from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 28. Now, many of you have said, quoted, stood upon Matthew uh, 16, 24. When I read it, you'll know exactly what it is. But I want to show you in, the, in these five verses, Matthew 24 through 28, contextually exactly what he's talking about. Sure, there's a personal application, but you're going to see what the real focus of this is. Now, listen to what Jesus told his disciples. He said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you said it, you probably you taught it, you wanted to live it. Now listen to what he says. For whoever saves his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what would a man give in exchange for his soul? Now look at verse 27. Powerful. Here's the context. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father with his angels, and he will reward every man according to his works. What is that? That's Revelation chapter 19, folks. Verily I say unto you, there will be some standing here, he's speaking prophetically, which will not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in His glory. kingdom. Or glory. His kingdom is going to be glorious. 
But think about it. There's the context of Matthew 16, 24. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Why? Because he's speaking prophetically 2,000 years in advance to these people that are going to be bombarded by the Antichrist. And he's going to say to them, listen, there's some of you that's not going to die. Until when? You're going to see. You're going to live out. And yes, some of you are going to be martyred. Some of you are going to lay down your life. Some of you, he's going to overcome you. But you know what? There's going to be even a remnant still yet that's going to be there, uh, uh, being protected in that last three and a half years that are going to see me bust wide open the eastern skies, coming with the legions of my, my servants riding upon wide horses. Go and, go and read uh, Revelation 19 again. We've shared it many times. That's exactly what he's talking about. There in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 18. That's the promise to those who will deny themselves, take the cross, and follow after Him. Who will not allow this world to become their source. Because folks, where your treasure is, there your heart's going to be also. And where your heart ends up, what's going to happen? That's where your soul's. That message obviously had some personal application then, and it's obviously got some personal application to every single one of us now, but really the ultimate focus of that message was upon the Jews who were the letter of that thought and that decree three and a half years of the tribulation. So that, that word is specifically for them telling them, listen, hold on, hold on. Keep praying like Hannah. Keep praying like Daniel. Keep trusting like that and declaring like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And folks, uh, don't wait and get yourself stuck in the tribulation and where you're going to probably be hardened in your heart. But do it now. Live that type of life and let that be your testimony now. Revelation 13, verses 11 through 11 says this. It says, And I behold another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. Folks, here's that introduction in verse 11 to that false prophet. You know, a couple of classes ago, we took a, a really the whole class to talk about and to set up this false prophet. Talked about it in length. And he is going to be that, that third member of that satanic trinity. Uh, he's going to come out from the church. He's going to come out from a prescribed religion. Most likely, he'll come out of Catholicism uh, because of their impact in the world, because of the proliferation uh, that it is globally, uh, and because of just the, the type of things. And we'll get into a little bit more of that. You'll see it unfold as we continue, uh, especially in chapter 17. And so think about this, Matthew 24, 24. It says, There will arise false Christs and false prophets, and they'll show great signs and wonders. How's the Antichrist coming? Great signs and lying wonders. He's going to be, uh, it's going to be appear that he raises the, 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 uh, the false prophet raises the Antichrist from the dead. He's going to do all these things, and people are going to wonder and marvel. This is Matthew 24 24. False Christs, false prophets, they shall do these great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, that they would deceive the very elect. And he's saying, listen, the elect, who is that? These are these Jews that have fled from the Antichrist at that three and a half year break in the tribulation. And it says, listen, if it was possible, but he said, if it was, but it's not. These guys have already been through so much that uh, it, had they had not been through, had they had not overcame and had the testimony of the blood of the Lamb, he would have probably overcame them as well. And so if it were possible, they should be deceived as well. So you'll see this beast is coming out like a lamb. So he's going to look the part. And he's gonna he's gonna have the appearance. He's gonna have the association. In other words, he, he's gonna come from the right cut. But when he speaks, it's gonna be as a dragon. In other words, he's gonna have a form of godliness, but he's gonna deny the genuine power, the power of the gospel, the power of the blood of Jesus. And he's gonna speak his own great swelling words that's gonna draw attention uh, not to Jesus but to the Antichrist. Then in verse twelve it says he exercises all power of the first beast before him. In other words, he's going to be just as loved. He's going to be just as popular. He's going to be uh, just as sought after as who the, the political figure. And he's going to cause the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Folks, once again, we talked about that, that uh, revised Roman Empire. This is the, the melding together of the political and spiritual forces uh, joining together. You know what, what's... I don't use the word scary, but it's really revealing... Uh, right now is there's such a push for that. You know, Christians, man, I, they, you know, some people will serve God basically depending upon who the president is. You know, you'll go into churches and they'll, they'll get more excited about who got elected uh, than they are uh, of who got elected, so to speak, through the scripture. You know, they'll, they'll spend more time sweating and petitioning and handing out and picketing and talking about uh, getting people in the ballot box, but they won't spend the same type of energy and money Telling people to get out on the streets to win people to Christ. Think about that. 
crazy. It's the great setup. Here's especially this nation. I can't speak for all the other nations, but it's probably per, uh, fairly similar uh, uh, as it is here. But you see people now. Election year comes up. Boy, people are rising up. Boy, they don't uh, they, they don't agree with abortion. They don't agree with uh, homosexual marriage. Where are these guys at the rest of the time? When we're out there ministering to try to get that gay child saved, or we're out there talking to that unwed mother saying, "Don't kill your," where are they at the rest of the time? Both where it's going to be is preaching the word into people's lives and transforming their hearts. But what you see is the melding together of that political and spiritual agenda right now. And so, if you're thinking, "Well, you got to make change," God's given us this authority. He's given me authority. You know what? To cast out devils, to lay hands on the sick, to to, to speak with new tongues, to, 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 to put myself in harmful situations. It's not going to hurt me. F- folks, I've got authority for Jesus Christ. I've seen God do miracles. I've seen those things. And you know what? It, it's not because I'm racing to vote for the right political party or, or, or trying to get the right judges on the Supreme Court. i tell you what, there's already the right judge sitting on the Supreme Court of Heaven. If you think for a minute that who's, um, who's a number of that 12 that's been uh, commissioned or elected or appointed by some president is going to be the difference maker, I have news for you. The answer to Roe v. Wade is not uh, 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 appointed justices. The, the answer to Roe v. Wade is the church rising up and as ministers of reconciliation, as ambassadors of Christ begin to cry aloud from the pulpits and from the streets and from the jobs and everyone else that begin to declare the message of, the, of salvation. If you start getting people saved, they won't want to kill their babies. If you get people saved, they be homosexuals anymore. If you get people saved, killing and stealing and doing drugs. Folks, the difference is not changing people's circumstances or giving some type of, uh, of economic stimulus package. It's taking the stimulated word of God, anointed in power and authority, open our mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. It's going to change and transform people's lives. So either do that or you're going to find yourself nailing the political and the spiritual forces. Instead of verse 3 speaking of this, this false prophet, it says he does great wonders so that he even can make fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. You know what's interesting to me is, you know, that's, that's, folks, that's not special effects that you're going to be seeing. It's legitimate spiritual power being exercised. It is the Second Thessalonians 2.9, the signs and the lying wonders. And lying doesn't mean special effects. It doesn't mean it's going to be like David Copperfield. Lying means uh, literally in the Greek perverse. It's going to take something that God meant for good and turn it for evil. Just the opposite of what Joseph told his brothers. What you meant for evil, God is going to turn for good. What this is going to do is going to take what God has used in the past. And I think about that before. I look at Elijah, who's going to be one of the two witnesses that's going to be killed. That What did he do? He called down fire from heaven right there at Mount Carmel. And so you're going to have this false prophet going to rise up. It's going to try to be a pseudo-type of Elijah-type of character, prophetic and, and doing great wonders. And so he's going to come down, and he's going to do these powerful things. The question is, are, 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 are people going to succumb to that? Yes, they are. They're going to succumb to that. Why? Because it's happening right now. We talked about that just a little bit yesterday. If you do something supernatural, oh, that's got to be God. God must be blessing it because I got healed. God must be blessing it because it's supernatural. Uh, they'll say the same thing here in Revelation 13, 13. Uh, it's right now. But that's why the Word says you don't judge a tree by its gifts. You judge a tree by its fruit, by its carpos, by how it changes people's souls, not how it changes people's circumstance. Can I get an amen? <laughs> then in verse 14, folks, it says, And he deceived them. This is that uh, the false prophet that dwells on the earth by the means of those miracles. That's what he used as a means to do it. Why? Because a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And it says, he, Those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image of the beast to which had the wound by a sword and did live. In other words, He's preparing them for idolatry. He's telling them to rebuild their high places, to, to, to establish their, their modern-day asterisk poles. Whatever it is, he's saying, I want you to do this. But you know, I see people, uh, people on the streets all the time that have these big gold necklaces, and it's this image that's supposed to be Jesus. They'll have this big Jesus head with his crown of thorns. He's looking all sad. And they're wearing, I mean, this thing is big, probably four or five inches across. And they're walking into nightclubs. Yeah. And I'll stop them when he comes and say, hey, what's that? What's that supposed to be? It's Jesus. And so I'll take them to the, the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus, and I'll show them what well, the Bible says. I said, so you're an idolater? No, I'm not an idolater. So you love him? Yeah. So I take them to, to Exodus 20, and I show them that you shall not make unto me any graven image, whether it be of things of heaven, which is Jesus, or things of earth. And I said, 
I don't know who you're trying to glorify, but basically you're mocking God and you're breaking one of His commands right there. And how can you say that you love Him and you do not keep His commands? That is idolatry around your neck. You don't see their faces. Why? Because, folks, nobody's telling you this stuff. No. Nobody's pointing people to the Scripture. Nobody's, they're saying, oh, that kid, that little that rapper, he's got a Jesus thing around his neck, and so he must be following God. Folks, listen, that's not it. So people are always looking for something to, 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 to follow after some image. It happened right there in in the book of Genesis, um, excuse me, Exodus chapter 30, with the with the Aaron making the golden calf, and they're still going to be doing it. Then he's going to prepare them. And it says in verse 15, and he had power to give life into the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause them as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. Now, one of two things can happen: either he's going to have power to have some type of uh, demonic type of animation to this idolatry, or most likely, in my, my thinking is that he's going to give power that it should speak. The symbolism is going to speak. For instance, you'll, you'll meet people and you'll say, are you a Christian? Well, can't you see my, my, uh, my pendant around my neck? Can't you see my, my rosary beads? Can't you see my, 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 my little saint emblem that I have? Can't you see my cross earrings? Oh, you don't see my t-shirt? You don't see my bumper sticker? Oh, you don't see my big leather Bible? Well, look, it says, it says, he gave power to the image of the beast that the image should both speak and cause as many that would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. In other words, he's aligning them with all this imagery, all these things that they're going to think give them credibility. And it's just like the, the, the signs. People say, well, are you, are you, do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm a Baptist. I didn't ask you if you were a Baptist. Do you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I'm a Catholic. Well, I didn't ask you if you were a Catholic. I ask you if you're following Jesus. And it becomes this, this, this symbolism or this style over genuine substance. And so I believe that probably what the, 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 it might, it's probably going to be is all this symbolic type of things. You look at the separation of the Jews in the Holocaust. What did they, they marked them. They made them wear certain things. If they caught them without that, they were executed on the spot. And so I believe that's what's going to happen. There's going to be an association. Why do I believe that? Well, because verse 17 and 18. And he causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark on their right hands or in their foreheads, that no man might buy or sell unless he has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that has understanding count the number of the beast. For it's the number of a man. And the number is 600, three score, and six. Six, six, six. Now check this out. Folks, listen. We are in society right now. Uh, you have to have a social security card, a number. To get a job here in this country, your uh, driver's license has a number, your bank account has a number. Everything is a sequence of numbers. Here on the internet, everything that you see is uh, set up by a series of numbers or symbols. HTML language on a website, it's all a series of numbers that uh, translate into an image or a picture or something like that. It's all numbers. You want to get a hold of me? You need my number. If you want my, if you want to know where I live, I'm going to give you a number. And so we've been conditioned through a number. And so nobody has a name anymore. Everybody has a number. And so you go and give a job, and they don't say, "Well, what's your name?" Bob Smith. Well, what's your social security number? Well, I don't have one. Well, you can't have a job. Well, just put me down as Bob Smith. Well, we're not concerned about Bob Smith. We have a number. Why? Because that allows us to tax you, to track you, to follow you, to know what you're doing, how much you make, how much you owe, all these other things. And so is there's going to be this mark that people are going to have to receive. You know, they, they talk about the technology now that people are getting. You, you run into it in New York City. Uh, people that have already had implants into their hands. And what they've done, some of these uh, high-end, high-tech uh, nightclubs, there's actually people that they've implanted uh, uh, a sensor underneath their hand so they can get into the club. They've always they've already paid for a year, so they say, hey, this is cool. I'll just go through and they scan me. They know that who I'm, say I am. I don't have to pull out my ID anymore. I don't have to pay because I've already done it. Folks, they're already doing those things, and they've already developed the type of, uh, of uh, retinal scans. That way people can't steal your money. You go into a grocery store, and rather than have a postcard or, a, or an ATM card or whatever it may be, they do a retinal scan that deducts the money straight from your, your account. So that type of technology, that type of thing is already happening. So what's going to happen is you're going to be an identifying characteristic, some type of mark, some type of numbering system that's going to identify people with the beast. And 666 doesn't necessarily have to be those numbers. No, it says it's the number of a man. You know, the number of completion, the number often associated with God is the number seven. This is man just coming under, coming just short three times over. There again, you have an unholy trinity. You have man manifested three times over. 
we take that, we take it back to Genesis. Oh, in the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you won't die. He knows that you'll be like him. And so this is man trying his best to be like God, trying to control the situation, trying to be Jehovah Jireh, the provider. He's our provision. It's going to be the provision. Time here today, but we're going to be back tomorrow for another edition of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Uh, we're going to be back. Well, actually, if you're looking this is uh, Friday, so we'll be back on Monday. And we'll be in our study. We're going to be in chapter 14 tomorrow. Uh, you guys are going to be out ministering, preaching the gospel in the streets, just like we are this weekend. We just pray for you, just ask God's blessing, that you see a great harvest of souls coming in the kingdom. So, time today, but I've got one bit of advice for you. Get into God's Word, and God's Word will get into you.